remember that you are in fact on the same team that you're one team striving together for one goal be of the same mind means keep a team mindset we're together Welcome to The Word Unleashed with Tom Pennington. Tom is pastor-teacher at Countryside Bible Church in Southlake, Texas. Hello, I'm Bill Wright. On today's program, Tom continues in his current series titled The One Another's. We are continuing a look at some of the 50-plus instances in Scripture where God commands believers to love fellow believers and those in the world. Today, Tom will begin to look at four recurring New Testament commands that provide you with a set of attitudes that you're to practice toward one another. What are the underlying attitudes that are to mark all of our interactions with fellow Christians? And how do you know if you have those attitudes? Let's join Tom to find out more here on The Word Unleashed. You know, it really is amazing how important our attitudes are to the health of our relationships. The same two people, each with their own weaknesses, can have either a strong relationship or a troubled one based solely on the attitudes that they have for each other. Sheila and I observed this early in our relationship in marriage. I have to freely admit to you, and Sheila would confirm, that I can be a certified grade-A stubborn man. Sometimes it expresses itself in humorous ways. You know, honey, I know it'll only take me three more hours to get this piece of pipe to fit. I don't really need to call a plumber. I think I can do this. Other times, the trait can show itself in ways that aren't quite so humorous. And in fact, if Sheila allowed herself, she could easily develop a bad attitude and let that attitude grow into resentment toward me, significantly damaging our relationship over time. Instead, she decided years ago that she would choose to appreciate the positive side of that weakness in me. By the way, this doesn't mean that I'm not working on it. I hope Sheila would tell you that I've made some progress in this area. But she decided that she would choose to focus on the positive side of that weakness in my own life. She recognized that it was that same stubbornness that sometimes frustrated her that would also help to ensure that I would remain committed to her for time and eternity, whatever may come. She decided instead to focus on that positive side and to call it persistence. Sometimes she forgets and has to ask, what is that positive word for stubborn? But largely, she gets it. The key factor, what I want you to see is, the key factor was her own attitude. In the same way, our attitudes, the attitudes that we develop toward each other in the church, determine the strength of the relationships that we will have or their weakness. So it shouldn't surprise us that a number of the commands of the New Testament have to do with the attitudes that we should have toward each other and the Spirit's desire to see those relationships strengthened through the proper thinking. Now, we've organized the 50 or so of those commands into four categories, and I've labeled those four categories as motivation, occupation, orientation, and conversation. 
we discovered that our motivation, that is, what should lie behind every interaction we have with each other, should be love. Our motive must be love. That should undergird everything we do in serving and ministering to one another. That wonderful divine word, agape, that speaks of the love God has for us and the love that only He can shed abroad in our hearts and enable us to show to others. We discovered that our primary occupation as we interact with each other is twofold. We are to build one another up and we are to serve one another. We are to be occupied. The overarching responsibility of our interaction with each other is to build one another up. That is, to promote one another's spiritual growth and health. And secondly, to serve one another. The word serve originally literally referred to waiting tables. We are to take it on ourselves to, in a very real way, be a servant to others, to meet their real needs, to be more concerned about them than ourselves. And we looked at a variety of ways to do that. Now today we come to the third category, and our third word, orientation. A number of these one another commands teach us how we are to orient ourselves and our thinking toward each other. These commands describe the underlying attitudes that are to mark all of our interaction with fellow Christians. There are really four of them, four recurring New Testament commands that provide us with a set of attitudes that we are to practice toward one another. If we're going to have the kind of relationship in the church we're supposed to have, then we have to promote and foster these four attitudes. The first is unity. Unity. A number of times in the New Testament, we are commanded to be of the same mind towards one another. To be of the same mind toward one another. Paul absolutely loves this concept. In fact, he uses the Greek word that's translated be of the same mind 22 of the 26 times it occurs in the New Testament. For example, in Romans 12, 16, he says, be of the same mind toward one another. 2 Corinthians 13, 11, finally, brethren, rejoice, be made complete, be comforted, be like-minded. But nowhere in Paul's writings does he focus more on this concept of being unified, of being of the same mind, than in the letter to the Philippians. In fact, ten times he uses this expression in the letter to the church at Philippi. And the most insightful occurrence is in Philippians chapter 2, and that's where I want us to begin as we examine this responsibility, this attitude we're to have of unity. Philippians chapter 2. In verse 1 of Philippians 2, Paul reminds us of the spiritual gifts that we have received. He says, if Christ has been any encouragement to you, if you have been consoled by God's love, if you've enjoyed the partnership that is granted you by the work of the Spirit, if you have benefited from the affection and compassion of God, if all of those things are true, then here's what I want you to do, verse 2. Make my joy complete. 
Paul had already told the Philippians that they give him joy back in chapter 1, verse 4. But here he tells them they can make his joy complete. The verb make complete is used to filling something up like water jugs all the way to the top. Paul is saying, you can fill me with joy up to the brim. You can top off my life with joy. How, Paul? Well, notice how he continues in verse 2, by being of the same mind. Literally, the expression means thinking the same thing. The best way to translate it, I think, is set your minds on the same things. By having the same mindset, by having the same disposition, we're to think alike. Now, this doesn't mean that we're to be in lockstep on every issue that comes into the life of the church. This doesn't mean that we're to agree on the interpretation of every passage. That's not what it means to be of the same mind. Instead, it is a mindset that is explained in the next three phrases. Notice that in verse 2, Paul says, I want you to be of the same mind, and then there are three phrases that follow, and those three phrases define what it means to be of the same mind. The essence of one-mindedness, listen carefully, the essence of one-mindedness is to stay focused on what we have in common. Notice what we have in common. Those three phrases tell us in verse 2. First of all, we have a common commitment to love each other, maintaining the same love. This points back to verse 1. If you have had any consolation of love, he's saying, listen, if you have been consoled in life's troubles by the knowledge of God's love for you, then you're to have the same kind of love for each other. He says, listen, be of the same mind. And by that, I mean remember that you have a common commitment to love each other. We also have a common connection in the Spirit. Notice the second phrase, united in spirit. This phrase translates one Greek word that's used only here in the New Testament. It literally means together in soul. It means to think and act as one person. It's like in a good marriage where the spouses become so much a part of each other that it's hard to tell where one leaves off and the other begins. We begin to feel the same way about things. We think similarly about many issues. We finish each other's sentences. We are together in soul, or to use the contemporary expression, we are soulmates. Paul says, remember this, think about this, that we are inseparably united to each other. If we are mature, spiritually-minded Christians, we're not going to allow unimportant differences to divide us or to hinder our service because we share a common connection. The Spirit has put us together into one body. We are permanently united, bound to each other. The third way that Paul defines the essence of one-mindedness, not only are we connected with a common commitment to love and a common connection in the Spirit, but a common cause in Christ. Notice he says the end of verse 2, we are intent on one purpose. This phrase speaks of being directed toward a single goal, one aim on which we focus together. What is our common cause? It's Christ and his gospel. That's what we're battling together for. That's what we live for. That's what we're united in. So we're to have the same mindset. We're to be of the same mind. And that means to remind ourselves that we share a common commitment to love one another, that we have a common connection to each other, and that we share a common cause. 
Let me illustrate this for you so you understand what it means to be of the same mind. We can be extremely different and are, and yet still be of the same mind. We can disagree on specific issues and still be of the same mind. I've told you before that when I was in high school, I played high school football. Our high school team was really nothing to write home about. We never showed up on ESPN. We still enjoyed playing, and it was a great joy, and I have fond memories of those days. All of us who were on those teams through those four years that I played were very different. We were very different in our tastes, in our personalities. There were a lot of things about us that were very different. But for those three hours on Friday nights, we were committed to the team and to one purpose, and that was working together to win. That's what Paul is saying. He's saying, by be of the same mind, he's saying, remember that you are, in fact, on the same team. That you're one team, striving together for one goal. Be of the same mind means keep a team mindset. We're together. Now, let me show you what happens if we are, in fact, being of the same mind. If we're truly united by our common love, by our common connection in the Spirit, by our common cause in Christ and the gospel. Let me show you how this protects the church. Turn over a couple of chapters, Philippians 4. In verse 2, Paul deals with a couple of women in the church, Yodia and Syntyche. They are at odds with each other. These two women were not women on the edge of the church with bad reputations and wagging tongues. These women were instead part of the core of the church. Look at what this passage says about them. They were obviously members of the church in Philippi. They were genuine believers. Verse 3 says their names are written in the book of life. They were active in ministry. Verse 3 also says they have shared my struggle, Paul says, in the cause of the gospel. They have demonstrated that they are able to work and serve alongside others because he mentions Clement there in verse 3 and the rest of my fellow workers. So these were quality Christian women. But now these two women have reached a point of disagreement over some issue that does not involve fundamental doctrine or sin. We don't know what the issue was. But Paul is now addressing these two women. Or particularly he's addressing the elders there in Philippi. And someone he calls in verse 3, my true companion, possibly one of the elders there possibly one of, the, one of his co-workers that he left there. But notice verse 2. He says, I urge Euodia and I urge Syntyche to live in harmony in the Lord. Let me tell you what he literally says. I urge Euodia and Syntyche to be of the same mind, to have the same mindset. You see, this is why it's so important for us to be of the same mind, to remember we're on the same team, is because it will ensure and preserve the true unity of the church. Because when arguments come, when disagreements come, we can remind each other that while we may disagree on small individual issues, we can work together because we're on the same team. Now how can we develop that kind of unity, that kind of one-mindedness? Look at Romans 15. Paul tells us there, Paul has just finished dealing with an issue in the Roman church that could have served as a great point of division 
and that was issues of conscience. Disagreement about whether or not meat sacrificed to idols should be eaten, whether certain days should be observed above other days. These were hot points, flashpoints in the church in Rome, and Paul has just dealt with that issue. And he gets to verse 5, and he says this in Romans chapter 15. Now may the God who gives perseverance and encouragement, may that God grant you to be of the same mind with one another according to Christ Jesus. You know what Paul says about how we develop that kind of team unity, that team spirit that says we're all in this together? We ask God to give it to us as a gift of his grace because we by nature are individualistic, selfish, and given to divisiveness. And so we say, God, may you grant us to be of the same mind with one another. Folks, we cannot forget to pray that for our church. It's so easy for us to find ourselves at odds with one another. By the way, what's the goal of this unity? Look at verse 6, God's glory. So that, if you enjoy the same mind, so that with one accord you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. What's the practical result? Look at verse 7. Accepting each other. Paul ends where he began chapter 14 verse 1. Therefore accept one another just as Christ also accepted us to the glory of God. Yes, you have differences. One may eat and one may not eat. One may take a, keep a certain day, another may not. But if you're of one mind, even with those disagreements, you can accept each other. You can dwell with each other in peace and harmony. Let me ask you, do you work at being of the same mind with the believers in this church? Do you think, like Paul is urging us to think, that this is a team? Do you share a common commitment of love to the people around you? Do you remember that you are connected to them in a real relationship placed there by the Spirit of God? Do you remind yourself that you are partners together with all of us in the common cause of Christ and the gospel? Do you work at developing that team attitude, that one-mindedness? The first attitude that we are to foster in our relationships with one another is unity. A second attitude that the New Testament lays out for us is humility. Humility. Turn to Romans chapter 12. This is one of several places we'll look at where Paul lays out this very basic command. Now in Romans chapter 12, you remember the first 11 chapters, he laid out the great doctrine of justification by faith. He explained salvation and how it relates in chapters 9 to 11 to Israel, to, their choi to God's choice of them. And then when you come to chapter 12 of Romans, Paul turns to the practical implications of the gospel. And he begins in the first part of chapter 12 dealing with the issue of spiritual gifts. But in verse 9, Paul moves from the theme of spiritual gifts to the theme of spiritual virtues that he wants to see present in all believers. Look at verse 10, and there's a sort of staccato fashion to his commands. But look at verse 10, the second half of the verse. Give preference to one another in honor. Now that is a very difficult Greek expression to translate. A literal translation would be this. As to honor, 
go before each other or set an example for each other. In essence, Paul is saying this, I want you to seek out, rejoice in, and honor the good in other believers more than and before you honor the good that may be in you. Now, Paul is not here encouraging a false kind of humility. He's not saying, if you have superior gifts, act like you don't. The issue is focus. What Paul is saying is we are to get the spotlight in our thinking off of ourselves and onto others. Be quick to think about how others ought to be honored instead of yourself. That's what he's saying. Now, Paul develops this a little more over in Philippians chapter 2 again. Turn back to Philippians 2. We left off in verse 2, but let's start with verse 3. He says, do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit. Don't do absolutely nothing with the motive of selfishness or selfish ambition, as it's sometimes translated, or empty conceit. Selfishness seeks personal goals and agendas. Empty conceit seeks personal glory. And he says, don't do anything from those reasons, but with humility of mind. And here he lays down this framework, this attitude that we're to have toward each other. With humility of mind. A related word to the word translated humility here is the word lowly. And it occurs some 270 times in the Septuagint. And that's what informs Paul's usage of this word here. It literally means lowly-mindedness. It doesn't mean you grovel. It doesn't mean you, you take a sort of Eeyore approach, as you've heard me describe it before, to yourself. That's not the point. It's not an attitude of self-abuse. Instead, it is a willingness to assume the position of a servant, lowly-mindedness, to put yourself in the position of a servant. He goes on to illustrate with Christ. Look at what Christ did. He left heaven, and he came willingly to be a servant. Now, notice how humility like this behaves. Look at verse 3 again. With humility of mind, regard one another as more important than yourselves. This word regard describes carefully evaluating the evidence and coming to a verdict. It's like with a jury. A jury considers the evidence and determines a verdict. He says, that's what I want you to do. And what's the verdict we're to come to? that others are more important than we are. It means that we're to see everyone else as more deserving of honor and respect than we are. You say, well, how can I develop that kind of attitude? Well, think for a moment. You don't know everyone else the way you know yourself. You know every wretched thing there is to know about you. But 1 Corinthians 13 tells us we're to believe the best about everybody else. So if you really take an honest look at yourself and you really believe the best about everyone else, then it's not so difficult to believe they're more deserving of honor and respect than you are. That's what Paul is saying. Notice how else humility expresses itself in verse 4. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. It means to seek the welfare of others, the needs of others, before I seek my own Paul puts it a different way in 1 Corinthians 10.24. He says, let no one seek his own good but that of his neighbor. Wow. 
This is the mindset you and I are to have toward each other. This humility that causes me to think of others as deserving of more honor and that puts their interests and needs ahead of my own. We see this in a picture, a beautiful word picture in 1 Peter. Turn to 1 Peter chapter 5. Peter also addresses this issue of humility and how important it is in our interaction with each other. In 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 5, in the middle of the verse he says, All of you, everybody in the church that I'm writing to, clothe yourselves with humility toward one another. That's Tom Pennington here on The Word Unleashed with part five of his series, The One and Others. Tom will have part six for you next time. Join us then, won't you? Well, it's our prayer that you'll be enriched by the expository teaching of God's Word here on The Word Unleashed. We'd love to hear your story and how God is enriching you in your walk with Christ through this ministry. Write to us, won't you? Our address is listeners at thewordunleashed.org. Again, that's listeners at thewordunleashed.org. Or you can call us at 1-877-577-WORD. And don't forget to connect with us on social at The Word Unleashed. The Word Unleashed is made possible because of the prayers and financial gifts of individuals like you. Please consider partnering with us. You can find out how to do that by visiting thewordunleashed.org. That's thewordunleashed.org. And now for Tom Pennington and the entire team, I'm Bill Wright. Thanks for listening to The Word Unleashed exalting God's glory, explaining God's truth.